Welcome back to Spark Talk Fridays. I'm Gina, and on today's episode, I bring you a very special guest that I've had the privilege of knowing for almost two years. Upon the first time of meeting, I was privy to his world of health and wellness coaching. I watched a very powerful coaching session that unfolded that left such a lasting impact on me that I knew from that very moment that he needed to be a guest on our podcast. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Zach Bodenweber. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here. I think we've been talking about this now for probably like, I don't know, more than six months. Yeah. Trying to get things in the works. Mm -hmm. So I'm so happy that we were actually able to make it happen. And we, if anyone doesn't notice, we're not in our same studio in our same spot, but um, we made something work out. And I'm really happy that we did it because we kind of came to where you are and it was like a beautiful drive up here. Yeah. And the scenery was fantastic and it was like a vibe coming up here. Yes. So like yes. set the mood for this. Yes. This, it's a moody day. Yeah. It's a misty day. Yeah. It's a rainy day. Some of my favorite days. Yeah. You know? So I also didn't feel like I was missing anything today. Yeah. No, right. That too. <laughs> perfect day to be tucked away in a little lodge. Yeah. Recording a podcast. Words. Yeah. Sounds perfect. Yeah. So I want to jump right into it because of, like I said, we've been trying to talk about this for so long. Yeah. So I want you to tell me what does it mean to be a health and wellness coach? Yeah. So Is that a loaded question? No. I mean... It can be, okay. um, you know, that could be, I could probably go on for the whole episode about that, but I can, I'll give you the short, you know, and um, first of all, it's important to understand what coaching is. Yeah. Coaching is all about facilitating behavioral change, facilitating lifestyle change. Now, on the surface, that could seem somewhat surface level, right? Yeah. Oh, it's just accountability and saying you're going to do it creating an action plan, following through on that action plan. And that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, all of our behaviors are really manifestations of a chain of events that begins in our mind and in our emotional state. Mm. You know, there's this chain of events that ultimately manifests in a behavior. And in turn, that behavior typically has consequences. Mm. And in the context of health and wellness coaching, the behaviors, the things we do, the ways we live can benefit our health and wellness or they can detract from our health and wellness. A lot of times I'll tell my clients that every, everything we do, this can seem a little heavy, but I don't mean it to be, everything we do is a vote for who we want to become. Wow. Right. So it's like really looking at the way we live. How do we wake up? What are our routines? What's our mindset like? How do we nourish ourselves? How do we move our bodies? All of those things factor into our health and wellness. So when I say coaching is all about facilitating behavioral change, that's true. Because at the end of the day, when I'm working with clients, I'm helping them transform their lifestyle. Yeah. But that's not separate from helping them transform themselves. Wow. Right? Those two things are two in the same. Yeah. So health and wellness coaching is all about helping people do that for the sake of their health and wellness. Now, to me, health and wellness is very broad. Yeah. You know, I used to own a gym uh, not too far away from here oh, in wow. upstate New York. And it was a very holistic gym. You know, we wouldn't just do personal training. We would do health coaching and we would help people with nutrition and sleep and stress and all of these things. And through that gym... And through the work I did with clients, one of the most eye-opening things for many of them was realizing that, oh, this is about way more than what I'm eating. It's about way more than what I'm eating. So yeah. a lot of times when I talk about being a health coach, people think that it's all about helping people with their nutrition. But again, the nutrition in terms of how people are nourishing themselves is oftentimes just a reflection of their relationship with themselves. 
you know, and it's a, it's a reflection of how they feel inside and how they cope with things and how they facilitate the ways they want to feel. So my work is very expansive and, Mm. you know, sometimes by, by definition, I mean, I'm a licensed therapist, I'm a board certified life coach, I'm a national board certified health and wellness coach. I've always struggled in my career with one term defining me. So Mm. sometimes even to just call myself a health and wellness coach feels limiting because there's so much that I do and there's so, so many expansive ways I work with people. So one of the joys of my work is actually helping people expand what their definition of health and wellness is. So as I listen to you say this, I can hear so much passion in your voice about what it is that you do and how it is that you help people. So I would love to know, what brought you to this health and wellness space that you're in now? You already gave us a little bit saying that Mm. you had once owned a gym, but Mm. I feel like there's so much more to that story because to help people, I feel like there you have to be a certain kind of person Mm. that just just doesn't come naturally. Mm. Um, or maybe it does come naturally, right? Mm. Like maybe yeah, I was going to press on that. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. it does come naturally, but I also feel like you have built a skill set on it. So I would love to know yeah. kind of like how you mm. got to this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of building the skill set, or in terms of like this be, being my career, both like all yeah, of it. Both. Yeah, yeah, both. yeah. I would so, love to hear both. You know, I'm I. I'll give you a bit of a condensed version because <clears throat> the trajectory for me was that this whole. I grew up an only child Mm -hmm. and I grew up in a very, um, a household that, you know, had a lot of emotional abuse, Mm. um, a lot of verbal abuse, some physical abuse. And it was very isolating being an only child in that situation. And, um, I, from a very, very young age started to build this like empathy muscle where like I would see you know, my mother suffering, Mm. right? Um, Oftentimes at the hands of my father. And I, as a young being, you know, felt that because a a child and a child's mother are so connected energetic. I mean, to this day, we're so connected energetically, intuitively, and especially when in in those formative years. And I would see her suffering and I would want to, I would want to put an end to that suffering. Mm. So from a very young age, I knew that I didn't like suffering. I knew what it felt like to suffer. I didn't like to see people suffering. And I wanted to, in some way, alleviate that. So, and my mother raised me with a very, she, she's just such a sensitive, compassionate person. And she raised me to be a sensitive, compassionate man. Um, and uh, Shout out to mom. She's amazing. You know, yeah. she really is. And, um, you know, and a lot of... And, you know, a lot of that meant that I've also had to really discover what it means to, for, for me to be in my masculine. And not that masculinity is not sensitive and empathetic, yeah. but, you know, I've, I've needed to, I was, that's what was instilled in me yeah. by the person who raised me. And then I needed to sort of find and create for myself, okay, what was, what was the man I wanted to be, right? Mm-hmm. Because she showed me what it was like to lead with this, this heart and have all these feelings and these emotions and this caring nature. Um, and my father wasn't really there to yeah. show me like, what was it like to be a leader, a provider, all of these sorts of things that you would typically, um, associate you know, with associate. being a man. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, but shout out to mom. Yeah, Absolutely. For real. So, so I, I knew that. And I was always the kid who was like, if somebody was getting made fun of, I was like there, I was friends with them. I want, I just wanted to like alleviate suffering wherever I saw it. 
And um, as I as I got older, I started. To, I mean, I struggled with a lot of mental health issues. I struggled with, you know, alcohol abuse. I struggled with self abusive behavior. I struggled with a lot of things and. What took me out of that are these moments where I was actually able to care for other people. You know, I started like these volunteer trips I would organize to wow. Mississippi after Katrina, um, going to going abroad and, and I volunteered at psychiatric hospitals, you know, in Poland. I've done all these things where the most I start to realize, wow, when I actually feel my best is when I'm actually stepping outside of myself and caring for another person. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, there's lots of again. The pendulum goes both ways. That means just in the same way my caring nature meant, okay, I need to also find the other way and bring myself into balance. That part did too. So Mm -hmm. here's where I'm going with this is that I very much became a bit of a martyr Mm. where I would sacrifice myself for the the good of other people. I went into social work. I got my master's in social work. I went into working in a mental health clinic, making hardly any money, working with 16 patients a day, back to back to back, skipping lunch every day in a small converted closet that they made into an office without any windows, right? And like this, and that's what I, and then staying late every day. And it was almost like I was running myself down in the service of other people. Mm -hmm. Cause somewhere embedded in me, I felt like, okay, I need to put my own needs second, last, right, in the service of people, to care for other people. Then there was a profound shift that happened, right, because I realized two things. Number one, I was working with people with their mental health. I was helping Mm -hmm. them with depression, with anxiety, with all the symptoms that would come of that. I was helping people with suicidal ideation. You know, I had been suicidal at times, so that was a big part of my work was actually suicide prevention. And um, I was helping people in all these ways, but one of the ways I wasn't helping them was when it came to their lifestyle, when it came to Mm. how they were eating, how they were sleeping, how they were living, right? I was doing like cognitive behavioral therapy, but I I realized that I'm like, oh, this is really fighting an uphill battle for my patients if I'm working with them to restructure their negative thought processes and reframe their beliefs. But we're not rebuilding the world around them. Exactly. As well. yeah. But they're not sleeping well. Yeah. They're in these they're in these really stressful environments, not knowing how to manage it. They're not eating well. They're not nourishing themselves. Mm. Uh, like I started to just see the the whole person. Yeah. And realizing like, oh. Well, if I want to be an agent of change, if I, if I want to facilitate self-transformation in other people, I need to look at all aspects of their lives. So I took this the course that IIN oh, does. Wow. So I took the, the health coach training program through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And that's when I stumbled upon this, this model of holistic health and well-being, you know, and what it actually means to nourish ourselves in, in all different ways, in every way, and what it means to look at the entire person and the interconnected fabric of their lives and recognizing that every single area of their lives are interconnected. they all influence one another and I realized okay I want to help people change on that level on the level of multi-dimensional health not just their mental health not even just their physical health their emotional health their spiritual health that's how I want to work with people what I didn't realize is that that was going to completely change my life too because in learning about that I realized oh my goodness I am not what good am I going to be for other people, yeah. if I'm miserable, yeah. if I'm burnt out, if I'm tired, if I'm stressed, I would I would work with people all day long, helping them with depression and anxiety, get in the car, 
probably probably have a cigarette in the parking lot, mm. get in the car, probably pick up some fast food on the way home. And, uh, and then, you know, probably whatever goof off until escape through probably yeah. media, right. Anything like that until like it was late, get a little bit of sleep and, uh, probably drink too. Right. Yeah. And then get, get up the next day and do it again. And it's like, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not, I'm not treating myself. I'm not caring for myself. And that's where that martyrdom mentality started to change. And I realized that, first of all, these are two in the same. And I realized what I tell all the coaches I work with and the therapists, by the way, that you are your own first client. Yeah. And if you're not taking care of you, you're not going to do anyone any good, truly. Because so much of the work we do with people is energetic. It's an energetic exchange. It's not about what you say to them. Yeah. It's not even about what you ask them. It's about the energy with which you carry yourself. And she, my energy was in the gutter. You know, Zach, as I'm listening to you say yeah. this, I it brings me right back to that first time that I watched you have that coaching session and yeah. you said a word that jumped out at me, which which was multidimensional. Yeah. And I felt like that was what I saw happen in that coaching session. Mm-hmm. You took this young lady mm-hmm. on this like level journey of Mm. really trying to understand all of her dimensions to get to the root cause of like what was i guess the best word i could use is like what roadblock she had that was preventing her from living in her best or living as her best self totally right there were some other things that you said in the beginning of um that question that i asked you Mm. that also jumped out at me was uh, some of the trauma that you had as a young child Mm. That then gave you some issues with yourself growing up mental health wise. Yeah. So I feel like that word or that statement is so you hear it all the time now, mental health. Mm. It's a really hot topic right now. Yeah. Why do you feel like that is? Why do you feel like mm. in comparison to 30 years ago mm-hmm. when I may have heard that word when it was regarding something psychiatric related, mm-hmm. but it never was really spoken about in a way where people were talking about it. Like that's not good for me. It's affecting my yeah. mental health. Yeah. So why do you think we've seen such a shift and why do you think that this word or this statement of mental health has become such like a, like a, like a hot topic? Yeah. Beautiful question. And by the way, I'm Thank so you. happy to see that it's become a hot topic. I would completely agree with you. When I tell you it has empowered me Mm. so much to understand why I don't like to go into certain spaces because if it affects my mental health in a way that it does not bring me the peace and joy that I would love and always want to experience, I now have the power to say, this is not good for my mental health. There you go. And I didn't understand that before. Mm-hmm. And because it, the awareness that has been brought to it now, it mm-hmm. allows me to like find information to mm-hmm. really better understand myself. That's it. Which it, that didn't exist before. I think, I think you're getting at the answer to your question. Oh yeah. But which, I would love for you yeah, to answer yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is that, which is that this information now is readily available yeah. and it's more widespread and it's more widely accessible to people. You're right. Mental health used to be stigmatized. Well, it still is in, in you know some cultures and yeah. some you know for some people, and um, and it used to be very pathologized. And in fact, it still is in a way. You see a lot of terms being thrown around that are mm-hmm. really diagnoses, mm-hmm. right? And I like to I like to sort of to me diagnoses are 
labels that were created by uh, insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies, really, who's wow. behind the, DS, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And um, they're labels, right? Yeah. I mean, so I like to transcend labels, and I think labels can be convenient. They help us provide a framework and get an understanding of what's going on. But um, my point is, is that mental health was pathologized where it's like you needed to, you know, you thought it meant you were crazy if you were working on your mental health or you brought up mental health, right? Or something like that. Whereas now I think we're collectively waking up to the fact that mental health is something that not just some people uh, experience. It's, it's all of us because right. Mental health is literally part of all of our lives. And there's also, a whole spectrum of qualities of mental health, you know, where you don't have to have what people would call severe mental illness, like um, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder. You know, you don't have to have that in order to want to work on your mental health. Even when it comes to depression, anxiety, there's what we would call clinical uh, levels of that, which are actually impairing your ability to function. And then there's like levels of depression, anxiety that if you're a human being, you are going to experience. Yeah. And so we're, we're waking up to that. And I think we're also recognizing that somewhere along the way, um, we, we've gone, we've gone wrong. You know, we, as humanity, we have progressed in so many ways, Mm -hmm. um, but we've done so like progress in quotes, because what does that even mean? Right? Like. We've done so in some ways that are detrimental to the planet, that are detrimental to our well-being, that are detrimental to our mental health. And what I'm seeing is there this being this collective pushback in this world that is so fast-paced, so consumerism-driven, so frantic, so hectic, so busy, so rushed. So that like where the hustle right, feels yeah. like a part of your daily yeah. life. We live in a hustle culture we're, for sure. Where burnout is, is, is everywhere. And that's a big term now too that you see and that um, people are again talking about very widely. Um, so you realize, you realize that and just how widespread that is. Mm-hmm. And the more widespread it becomes and the more we have books about it and the more it's available through people's Instagram channels and on social media and the more widely talked about it is, the more people can see themselves in that term Mm. and recognize how that term applies to them. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I found resources that made me understand myself better. Yeah. And it, and like I said, it empowered me to say no to things that in the past, maybe I would have never said no to because I thought that that was what I had to do with yeah. myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like you said, collectively are waking up to that and saying, no, that yeah. doesn't work for me. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work for my mental health yeah. and, and I'm okay doing that. Yeah. Um, and since I said the word collective, mm-hmm. I would love to know, do you see like a common thread with some of your clients of like roadblocks that they may be experiencing when it comes to like their personal transformation journeys that mm-hmm. they're trying to put into play for their health and wellness? Mm-hmm. Are there like common, I guess, themes that you Absolutely. see regularly with your clients? Because I feel like as a society, even though we feel so separate from each other i feel like we're so much more alike than we actually than we, we want to believe we are there's a lot of common threads yeah the first thing that comes to my mind is a lack of self-love oh wow that's yeah that's huge a lack of self-love i want to i want to position this this mm-hmm. is i'm writing a book on on wellness right now awesome and how it's primarily an inner game okay 
And among my clients, what I've recognized is that so many of the behaviors that are detracting from their health and wellness are compensations. And typically they are typically those behaviors are doing one of two things. They're either seeking to sedate or manipulate. Mm. And let me explain this. Yeah, I was going to say, say more. Yeah. So we are all, we're all emotional beings mm -hmm. and we're driven by feelings. Even though some of us like to believe, oh no, driven by logic, we're driven by feelings. And the commonality among all people, everybody, is that we all want to feel good. Mm. We all, how beautiful is that? Yeah. We just want to feel good. And we have all different ways of getting there, of trying to get there, mm -hmm. all different ways. And for some people, they try to find that in the bottom of a bottle. For other people, they find that in, they try to find that in the boardroom and in the mm. bank, you know? And, but so we all, but at the end of the day, those people are really after the same thing. And um, what I've noticed in my clients when they come to me and we're looking at their lifestyle and looking at the things they want to change and what their goals are and what separates them from their goals, what separates their current reality from their ideal reality, their current situation from their desired situation, mm -hmm. um, lies in a lot of the way they're living and the, the, the decisions they're making on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, Based on what I said, at the end of the day, somebody comes to me, no matter what they want to do, they want to better manage stress, they want to, they want to improve their relationships, they want to be more successful, whatever that means to them, they want to lose weight. Right away, I'm understanding, okay, this all boils down to they want to feel a certain way. Because the only reason we want anything is because the way we believe it'll make us feel. And I think it's really important for everyone to sit with that and yeah. to recognize that oh my goodness that's what i'm doing at this very yeah, moment you said that i'm just like sitting with that it's immediately. the way we believe it'll make us feel yeah. so let me go back to answering your question of this commonality the sedation or the manipulation manipulation is i am controlling my environment in some way mm-hmm the manipulation tendency to deal with this d discomfort we're feeling inside that often comes from a lack of self-love and emotional nourishment um, typically will come in the terms of people trying to really control their environment, you know, really control their, the people in their lives, really like control mm. the, the, um, the things that they're doing, what they're eating, right? Whatever it is. The, the sedation often comes from numbing, right? I want to I numb myself. I want to escape. And that could be through substances. That could be through escapism, like what, just watching yeah. television or checking out or like whatever it may be that helps people kind of just forget about their lives. Yeah, just tune out. Just tune out. Um, and the manipulation, right, is all, these, these are both ways of wanting to control our inner state, right? I'm manipulating, so I'm controlling my environment so that I can feel a certain way inside or that I don't have to feel a certain way inside or I'm numbing myself so that I can feel a certain way inside. It all boils down to us wanting to feel a certain way inside. And a lot of times with, these, with the people I'm working with, what we look at is that every single behavior, everything we do meets a need. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. So when people just try to stop doing something, I mean, oh, I've been, I've been eating this way. I've been snacking late at night. I'm just going to stop doing that. It doesn't work because you also stop meeting the need that that behavior was meeting. 
So behavioral change 101 is in order to change a behavior, you have to first understand the need that that behavior was meeting and find ways of meeting that need that are more conducive to your goals, Yeah. that are more conducive to your health and wellness. And there's a variety of those things that we can choose from. So we can go, we can go on and on about what those needs are and yeah. what we need as people. But at the end of the day, people are looking to feel good. Right? And at the end of the day, people are looking to feel good in the sense of loving themselves. They want to experience emotional nourishment. They want to feel love for themselves. And a lot of these behaviors I just talked about, those, those manifestations, they come from a lack of self-love. So people try to find it in the world through soothing themselves, through success, through whatever it may be. They're trying to find around them what's missing within them. So if you're just, if you just look at this logically, mm-hmm. if I don't love myself, then my behaviors will probably reflect that. They probably won't be very loving toward myself. Wow. Truthfully, right? It just yeah. like kind of, it kind of makes sense. So, okay. But if I love myself, if I work on that, oh, and by the way, if I learn to emotionally nourish myself, we can get into that too. If I learn to emotionally nourish myself so that I'm not looking to the world to meet my emotional needs, but I'm able to do that for myself, yeah. then, then what, else do, what else do I need? I'm good. Yeah. Right? And then my, what I've learned from working with hundreds of people is that then their lives begin to reflect that. Their lives begin to take on this flavor of self-respect. And to me, self-respect and self-care are synonymous. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I almost like want to give you an applause because mm-hmm. it is, I so wholeheartedly agree with that. And But I will say it took me a long time to understand that. Oh, yeah. Because I was doing a lot of the things that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. I was soothing myself with certain um, outside things that weren't really giving me the nourishment that you're saying that I actually needed. Mm. It was just subduing. That's right. What I thought was happening. And one day I just had an awakening where my husband walked into the, um, our living room and found me in tears. Mm. And he looked at me and was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, I just feel like I just woke up something. I saw something, uh, on TV. It was an episode on a show. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah. I love Euphoria. So, um, I grew up also myself from a very traumatic childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was physical abuse, Mm -hmm. drug abuse, Mm -hmm. all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a scene in, I think it was season one where Rue was going to, um, AA Mm. Um, she attended one of the meetings still on drugs. And then when she walked out of the meeting, she was stopped by her sponsor and her sponsor had an interaction with her. You remember this? Yes, I do. Where he basically said, Hey, how you doing? And she's like, Oh, I'm good. And he goes, so who found you? And when I tell you my heart just dropped. Mm. Um, and it was the first time that I had saw my story being told and my story was the story of the victim Mm. because a lot of times the story of the abuser is being told okay so he pressed her on when she overdosed who found her and what was the situation and in that you saw the pain that she realized that she had put someone else through. And then through that moment, I realized that I was walking through my life trying to subdue this pain that I've had for so long because I felt like no one ever really understood my story. And that was 
how I started my journey on really like healing and really trying to understand where that came from, mm. what I needed to do to nourish it mm. so that I was never triggered from things like that. Okay. But um, okay. I want to so, talk more about this um, emotional nourishment yeah. because I'm really intrigued as yeah. to what that means because I feel like it sounds so poetic, yeah. but what yeah. does that mean for somebody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to I want to ask you, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, mm-hmm. do you do you feel like you still carry that pain within you? Yes, yeah. I have moments. I have moments of where things are not as clear as I thought they were at one time because yeah. I thought maybe I had gotten past it. Maybe I had healed from it. Mm. But I think what happens is I have moments of memories mm. that I had almost forgotten yes. that bring something back to the forefront. And yes. it actually happened here in the beginning of our conversation when you said to me that you yourself had some mm. trauma in your past as a child mm. and then somewhat molded you Mm. a little bit to be who you are and i find it interesting that you and i both entered into the world of service yeah but in different worlds because of our trauma Mm -hmm. so it kind of like brought me back to that yeah and it it gave me that feeling in my chest if you know what i mean that's where the feeling is yeah so i do i still do definitely have moments but man am i so much better because i have implemented things in my life that i give myself love to myself beautiful so I love to experience nature. I love to have my alone moments. I love to read because I find that when I give myself these like what I would call the bigger picture, Mm. the bigger picture things Mm. where it's not like that immediate um, that it what's the word I'm looking for. It's not, I'm not giving myself immediate gratification. I'm giving myself like the long term gratification. Mm -hmm. And in that I'm like filling my cup up. That's it. So when the pain does come, I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. Yeah. I, f- I feel good today. Yeah. And there are many moments where where I would have maybe gone into somewhat of a depression because something really triggered. I don't go there anymore because I know that I'm living well. I feel joyful. Yeah. I feel peaceful. Yeah. So like my heart and my mind don't want to go there anymore. Yeah. But it happens because, yeah. you know, not we're not perfect. No. But I'm staying in the space mm-hmm. of seeking health and wellness for myself yeah. consistently. I'm always looking for new things. Mm-hmm. So it keeps me in that joyful space. Okay. You know, um, okay. one of my favorite things is now is having small moments of awe. Mm. You know, just going into nature, seeing a new bird. Yeah. Um, reading small little stories, yeah. small little poems almost kind of like it's healing that inner child for me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. There's uh, to me when we're, when we're fully present, I mean, there's so much to say about this yeah. and, and thank you for sharing that by the oh, way. My pleasure. Um, thank you for asking that pain. We, well, first of all, totally up to you. We can, we can do a little process around that if you'd like. Um, but first I want to say that that pain, mm-hmm. um, is, First of all, it was it was activated because what I said carried a similar energetic frequency to sure. the original wound, mm-hmm. right? And I and I bet in life things they may not they may look completely different than whatever it is that happened to you, mm-hmm. but if they carry the same energetic frequency, mm-hmm. then they will activate that energetic charge. And when you look at this through the lens of energy psychology, it says that, you know, trauma is anything that really, I'm paraphrasing, but anything that supersedes or overwhelms our ability to cope. So in other words, it's such an intense feeling that we can't process it. Mm -hmm. So what happens is because we can't process it, it becomes stuck. 
that becomes trapped. Mm. And this, when this happens to us from a young age, we carry with us this trapped energy, this trapped emotional charge, which we don't even realize is really running a lot of things behind the scenes. And this is a perfect segue into the, what I was talking about with clients because they oftentimes don't even realize that so much of their behavior is being driven by this pain that they have not integrated, right? Wow. That, that's really that lives on within them and it's driving their behaviors. And again, they're either manipulating and I know that's sort of a negative word, but they're either controlling their environment and their their lives or other people so that they don't have to feel that pain or they're numbing the pain they feel in yeah. a variety of ways. And I was doing a mixture of both. A mixture, usually it is. You know, yeah. usually it's a mixture of both. The one way we develop these trapped energetic charges is through trauma, right? Through something that happens that overwhelms our capacity to process it. Mm -hmm. So it's trapped within us and we carry that within us. Typically, we carry that in one of our chakras, our energy centers. Okay. There's another way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into exactly why I'm talking about this because it is crucial for health and wellness. Yeah. Right? The other way is through the way that we're conditioned or imprinted in life, in society. So when we're born, we're babies, we're just pure expressions of life, we're crying one minute, laughing the next, pooping, eating, whatever, and we're unconditionally loved, really no matter what we do. We don't need to go to work, we could throw up on people, we could pee on people, like whatever happens, we can, whatever, we're, we're just unconditionally loved. Yeah, That has a shelf life. <laughs> it sure does. It. <laughs> and I think my daughter is right at she that. She's it. right at that borderline yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get to a point where we learn that we have to edit ourselves. In other words, we can no longer be just these full expressions of whatever emotions we're experiencing and these pure expressions of life. We learn that we have to edit ourselves. We learn this. We get a certain age and it's don't cry, don't laugh. That's inappropriate for this situation. You can't do that in this place. Oh my we God. learn this through our parents. We learn this through our teachers. We learn this through, the, through our communities, through our society, that there are certain ways that are acceptable of being, and there's other ways that are unacceptable of being. Well, what that means is that we have to then edit ourselves in order to have love and acceptance. And we choose to edit ourselves, even as young beings, because... Love and acceptance is our primary need. Now, I would argue it's our primary need for everybody, but especially when you look at children yeah. coming into this world who are entirely vulnerable, right? Their, their life depends on the love and care and acceptance of other people, of their caretakers, of their communities. So we learn to edit ourselves. Oh, I want to cry right now, but I can't. Because I'll get in trouble. I want to laugh right now, but I can't because it's not appropriate. I'm angry right now, but I can't express it because I'll, I'll, if I throw a temper tantrum, I'll be in timeout. Mm -hmm. Right? Like all these things. So we learn to edit ourselves. And the, what we do is we suppress and we repress our emotional experience. And again, energy needs to move. Emotion is energy in motion. Mm. It needs to move. So if it doesn't move... It's trapped within us. And because energy is always in motion, it can't be still, it circles back in on itself. And this is why a lot of people describe the chakras as like these spinning wheels of, mm. of energy. Well, that's how this trapped energy usually in one of our chakras becomes. It's like this, this tight spinning energy. And this is, by the way, what we feel. The pain you described, mm. that's what it is. 
And if it's something I said or something that you saw or something, whatever it is that carried the energetic frequency of the original hurt that you suffered mm -hmm. will activate that within you. Yeah. And that's right. exactly what happened. Yeah. I watched that episode and it opened Pandora's box Yes, because putting it. my survivor skill was to suppress my feelings mm -hmm. to make everyone else feel like I was okay. Mm -hmm. I, Beautiful. I was a child of, I went into like a foster care situation yeah. And I remember one of my first experiences was, um, I was living with an aunt and an uncle though, luckily. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first day that I had to go and live with them. My aunt sat down with me. I was on the couch. She sat on the floor and she looked up at me and she was like, are you okay? And I remember inside feeling destroyed, oh. but I knew that the situation that I was in wasn't ideal. So what there did I do? I lied. And yep. I said, yeah, I'm fine. And I just did that for the rest there of my go. life until oh my gosh, one day, until one day yeah. I watched that episode yeah. and it exploded on me. That yeah. box just got busted wide open. Yeah. And when my husband walked in and he saw me in tears, mm -hmm. like I said, it put me on that journey of like understanding how to, like you say, move my energy yes. so that it wasn't stuck any yes. longer. And I'm consistently on that journey and that's why i was saying to you i look for new things because mm. i know that i have to be in that motion mm. but i'm looking for it to bring me peace versus me trying to like bury something because that's what i was doing for a very Burying long time yeah i was and i was things. really good at that mm -hmm. zach um mm -hmm. i was good at it in a way where it now allows me to step into certain spaces and immediately assess other people very quickly okay where then i feel like like you said, I edit myself immediately yes. to fit their form yes. so that I make them feel comfortable. But I'm, that's a work in progress for me. I'm yeah. still working on not doing that anymore yeah. and like just letting people see Gina as beautiful. she is. And I've come to understand that I'm beautiful that the way that I there am. And if people don't accept me for who I am, because I know morally i'm a good person mm -hmm. and if you're not accepting me then it may be something that you haven't accepted about yourself mm. and maybe you see it in me mm. right because i'm just like trying to be more it's, free it's, it's oftentimes what we judge in others is we're judging ourselves and i love how you said you're trying to be more free this yeah. has been a big thing for me mm. as somebody who again through a lot of my life would um would put my own needs second so i had the same sort of thing where i would present myself in a certain way to help other people feel more comfortable or yeah. feel more whatever and um i i'm i work with a therapist right now and we've been, we've been together for the last year and a half and she's incredible and i remember when i first started working with her in my, my assessment i said that i want freedom right yeah and i used to think that what freedom meant was freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want it. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And what I really learned is that I, what I actually want is freedom to be me. Freedom to be the fullest expression of myself regardless yeah. of the circumstances. Preach. That's, yeah. I, I, all the hairs on my neck just stood up because that's exactly what it is that I was saying. Freedom yeah. to be myself. Um, because I've been editing myself for yes. so long. And Beautiful. thank you for that because I'm even finding myself finding the words better now just because of this interaction mm -hmm. that we're having of like what my how i can explain mm -hmm. my experience yes. um yes. you said you said two things there that kind of stood out to me um and one of them was that you yourself are in therapy mm -hmm. and you yourself being a health and wellness coach 
I feel like sometimes people think that those two things are almost interchangeable. Can mm-hmm. you tell me like what really separates the two? Mm-hmm. Um, and why someone would maybe want to seek a health and wellness coach versus a therapist? Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. Because one may be better suited for them at a certain point in their life, but maybe they're not sure which one would be. Yeah. Could you like maybe yeah, give I, us that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, as a licensed therapist and a, a board certified a coach, I can see both sides. Awesome. And, um, and there's a lot of, of debate here. And I'm just going to say this um, right up front so people are aware. There's a lot of coaches trying to do the work of therapists. Mm. And I will say there's a lot of therapists doing the work of coaches, right? One is a little more problematic than the other because there's some coaches kind of doing more than they're qualified to do mm. and going places they really should not be going with, a, with their clients. So I just want to fully acknowledge that. Um, and when I talk about working with people on this energetic level and Mm -hmm. I'm doing it within the context of coaching, Mm -hmm. right? I am very clear on what I'm doing, right? I'm helping people. I'm working with people on the causal level, which is that inner state, that emotional state. Mm -hmm. So, which will then reflect in the lifestyle they want, right? Which will then reflect in them ceasing the things that are detracting from their health and wellness and living in more ways that are aligned with their health and wellness so that they can upgrade their lives. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I'm trying to do therapy with them. So I'll explain the the breakdown. Therapy, and this is widely debated, so this is my perspective. Okay. Um, Therapy is a lot to do with, first of all, pathology-driven. In other words, there's a problem that is Mm -hmm. impairing your functioning, that therapy is helping you to heal. Okay. So therapy, and this is why insurance covers therapy, typically doesn't cover coaching although in health and wellness coaching we are making advances in that which is really nice to see yeah that's amazing yeah yeah um because with the idea of therapy is okay there's something that and i hate using this word but something that we're fixing right something wrong that's being fixed a lot of therapy is um focused on the past in other words, we're going, we're going to do a deep dive, deep discovery into your past. Mm-hmm. A lot of therapy will focus on the trauma of the past and mm-hmm. doing trauma work. And a lot of therapy will also focus on, how do I put it? The, this notion of restoring functioning, right? Okay. That, okay, you know, I'm not functioning the way I want to be. I'm restoring functioning. Whereas coaching is very much, it's not pathology driven. In other words, it's, this, it's really from the place of how do you want to move forward? Not how do you want to recover from the past, but how do you want to move forward toward the life that you want, mm. right? Not how are we going to heal from this, but how are we going to achieve X, Y, or Z, right? Mm-hmm. What your goals are. So it's very much driven by your goals for the future, the lifestyle you want, the things that you want to achieve, what's getting in the way, right? All of that. And that's why I say it's a lot more centered around behavior change, yeah. a lot more centered around lifestyle change. Yeah. So to me, those are, those are really the big differences between the two. And that's why, by the way, a lot of uh, therapists will also do coaching because they want to help people in both of those ways. Gotcha. Right? I know a lot, like myself, a lot of therapists started out as therapists and then realized they also want to work with people in this coaching paradigm where somebody doesn't need to come to you with a diagnosis Right. If you're working with somebody as a therapist and you're billing insurance, Mm -hmm. you need to give them a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They need to have a diagnosis. So you have to label them with the diagnosis and the idea is that the therapy is providing treatment for that diagnosis. Coaching, you don't need a diagnosis. 
right? You could be, you could be a high performer in whatever field you're in and want to get coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Just to continue to improve. You're not necessarily trying to heal anything or fix anything. And one of the things I really love about coaching is from that paradigm, it's this idea that, okay, the person is already whole, right? They're already whole. And it's just about how can they continue to move forward and grow and develop and, uh, improve in the way they want to in their lives. As you say this, um, I'm a very visual person. And as you're speaking these words of like the differences between therapy and coaching, I don't know if you're familiar with Ted Lasso. Mm, So so many people have told me I need to watch it. Well, you need to get on it. But I will say this when you watch the first season, if you ever get to it, there's actually a really interesting um, relationship that happens because Ted Lasso is the coach for the football team. Okay. And then a therapist comes in. Ah. And as you were saying that, I can see the two differences, mm-hmm. how it happens on mm-hmm. screen with the coach who is helping his players mm-hmm. that are whole mm-hmm. and get to help them move past the things that they that are blocking them so that they can perform yes. in their sport. Yes. But then they have those inner things mm-hmm. that they then go see the therapist for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when the two of them come together, it mm-hmm. makes this like really whole success, successful player, yeah. which... As you were saying, I can see the two differences, but I can see how they can run concurrent with each other. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I want to make really clear is that those two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. It is important when you think about scope of practice. That's Mm -hmm. really important. But they're not mutually exclusive because if you think about, okay... I want to move from here to where, from where I am to where I want to be, which Mm -hmm. would also often be the realm of, of coaching. You think about, okay, we're going to explore what's holding you back. Well, all the things that are holding you back are pretty much rooted in your past and these subconscious beliefs and these blocks and these emotional charges that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So inevitably it helps to be able to do both with people, which is what I like to do in my work. Um, but that being said, any coaches out there who don't have training in that or who are, it's out of their scope of practice to do that, it's ill-advised, right? Because that's why therapy is so important. And that's why these two professions complement each other. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't compete. They complement each other, yeah. which is what I hear you saying, yeah, which is really beautiful. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So because you're telling me that there are coaches out there that are giving therapy in a space maybe that they shouldn't be mm-hmm. or maybe vice versa, what mm-hmm. advice would you give someone that is looking for a health and wellness coach? What are some characteristics in a health and wellness coach that they know that that coach would be the right fit for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's two things because I love how you mentioned characteristics. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say make sure somebody has a good education, a good training. Mm-hmm. That's not all. That's not all because I know P- I know people who are PhDs mm-hmm. who are crap therapists, crap coaches. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you've studied for that long, right? Mm-hmm. But it is important that you've had a legitimate training. Um, and now in the field of coaching, there's a lot of fly-by-night trainings because so many people want to become a coach. That's become like a buzzword. Correct. That, you know, are like these weekend workshops that give you a certificate that means nothing. That says mm-hmm. you're a coach. There's people calling themselves all sorts of coaches that they're just making it up, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a productivity coach. coach. I'm yeah. a relationship coach. I'm a this coach. Like... What you know, so so look into that in the field of health and wellness. You want to make sure they come from a reputable program, mm-hmm. um, and uh, more recently, the uh, MBHWC, it's the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaches, mm-hmm. has come to fruition. They're really like the governing regulatory body for health and wellness coaching. They're really advancing the profession. Mm-hmm. To have somebody with their MBHWC can, is going to be important. In terms of characteristics, you want to make sure that the person is a good listener. Mm. 
Despite popular belief, coaching is not consulting. Consulting is there's a problem, you're giving people advice on how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. As a coach, you don't give advice. And this is a misconception. And there's a lot of people who are coaches who all they do is give advice. Mm. And it's like, that's not, that's not the job, right? Coaching is about helping people arrive at their own solutions. It's not about providing solutions. So mm. when you're working with a coach, a good coach should be an expert listener. They should strive to ask you questions to help them better understand your world, mm -hmm. right? And they shouldn't be telling you what to do. And I want to tell you, if, if you are looking for coaching and you're looking for somebody to tell you what to do, this is also a paradigm shift. Because I've had people come to me that are like, tell me what to do to do X, Y, and Z, right? Or like, yeah. when I don't do as much of this anymore, but tell me what I need to do to lose weight. Mm. And now it's so funny because now like I'm like, first of all, if you want to lose weight, that's great, but that's not what we're going to focus on. You losing weight will be a byproduct of our work together, but it'll be a byproduct of the internal changes you make. It'll be a byproduct of you restoring harmony with your relationship with yourself and with life. That's what the weight loss will be a byproduct of. Um, second of all, you're going to guide that whole process because you have all the answers within you, right? You, you have everything you already need to be able to do this. And in this world, so many people have become conditioned to looking for the answers around them. Mm -hmm. um, even within the, the healthcare model, so many professions of healthcare are all about you go and they prescribe you something. You go and they tell you what to do. They give you instructions, orders, a meal plan, whatever, tell you what to do. And the idea is that you go do it. That's not how change happens. Change is messy and change happens from the inside out. That's how change happens. Mm -hmm. So when you're, if you're, whether you're seeking coaching or you're working with a coach, a coach's job is not to tell you what to do. It's not to give you a plan and say, go follow it. It's to help you be, it's to be a guide on the side and truly help you determine what your goals are and help you navigate the best way of getting there because you know the answers. And the only reason we believe we don't or anybody believes we don't is because they've been conditioned to believe otherwise. They've been conditioned to believe that the answers to the problems exist somewhere around them. And this is so much, if there's one thing I could really say to really surmise the work that I do mm -hmm. is it's helping people discover the inherent wisdom that they have within them, the, the power that lies within them to completely transform their lives and experience whatever they want for their health and well-being, right? That is all within them. So people come to me, mm -hmm. like I'm going to give them some sort of answers. I'm like, newsflash, you're going to provide yourself with all the answers. I'm just going to help you get there. All right. It's like you think about somebody, this is, you know, think about hiking a mountain. We're here where there's a lot of hiking. Mm -hmm. I'm hiking a mountain. Like people are looking for the, um, the, uh, the chairlift, you know, just to take them right to the top. Wow. And that's it's like, a great right. Amount. And yeah. it's like, all right, I'm actually going to be the hiking guide. I'm going to be the Sherpa, you know, I'm going to be the signposts tell, you know, helping you to helping you navigate what's going on. I'm not going to do the hike for you. Right. Do you yeah. feel like, it's possible that in the coaching space, it comes across less intimidating than seeking a therapist. Yeah. Do you feel like you have um, mm -hmm. clients that come to you and they may need a therapist, but they then may be coming to you seeking what mm. they really may need is therapy, but they're coming to you looking for a coach because it seems like what you have to offer mm. is less intimidating and maybe it doesn't come with one of these labels. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, does that happen often to you mm -hmm. where you have to maybe say, I'm not the right fit for you? 
It does happen. I mean, luckily with my training, I'm able to support them and I, and I do have a network of people I refer to. Um, So it is important. It is important for every coach to have a network of professionals who they can refer clients to and to know who's appropriate and who's not. Um, It does happen for the reasons you're saying is because people feel, oh, they're like, oh, cool. There's still a little bit of a stigma around mental health. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea of, oh, cool. Like, CEOs and athletes get coaches, right? But like therapists, like people who have problems get, you know, therapists. So there's this idea of like, oh, coaching is more acceptable. And there's this notion of like, a coach isn't going to psychoanalyze me. Yes, A lot of people feel like a therapist is like kind of, evaluating them and yeah, analyzing like go lay them. on the couch and I'm going <laughs> to yeah. write on my pad. Yeah, yeah. 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 But again, I would encourage people and I do when I, when those clients come to me to realize like, that's actually not, that's a very kind of antiquated Freudian version of therapy. That's yeah. not really, not really quite what it looks like anymore. And if it does, you don't have to continue with that therapist. You know? So I would say that that is another characteristic that I would look for in a mm. coach that if they can identify that they're not a good match, that they also have a yeah. reputable network of yes. other colleagues that they could refer you to then for that you can then seek the help that you truly need. Precisely. I think that says a lot because um, one thing I do know about my field, which is very different, that in the beginning we'll kind of take everything, even yeah. though maybe it's not really in our wheelhouse. Yeah. But now I'm in the position in my profession where when I can recognize that the person, the services that they're looking for, Mm. I'm not the right fit Mm. for, but I have a network of really um, great colleagues that I can refer them to that they can go seek what it is that they're looking for. So I think that speaks to like your level of professionalism. And I would want other people to be able to see that when they're seeking someone, you yeah, know? And yeah. I feel like you kind of touched on that in the beginning, you yes. know, that they have that training that they can give you the advice you need. And if they're not fitted, then here are some other people that yes. I think would really work well for you. Precisely. And that was a tough one for me because yeah. coming out of therapy into coaching, mm-hmm. I had to recognize that like, okay, that scope of practice changes, right? So if I'm doing work with people and calling it coaching, but it's really more like therapy, then technically I'm outside the scope of the service I'm providing. Luckily, it did help me really know and be able to differentiate what's going to be appropriate for who, um, which has been a huge part of my work. I would love to hear if you could share um, a success story that you had with a client. Mm. Um, something that you feel like if you shared with the audience, they could maybe identify with so that mm-hmm. they can understand that a lot of us start in the same place, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to choose from. I'm trying to figure out of oh, that's w- good to hear. one of the ones that are the, the most, um, accessible, you know, um, I will say that there was a, there was a woman that was a learning experience, for me just as much as it was for her and this was a big thing that changed my paradigm and she was a woman who had difficulties with uh, had a lot of stress in her life Mm -hmm. her life had difficulties with her relationship with food Mm -hmm. um big time and had difficulties uh with really uh being in relationships that didn't serve her i'll just say that Mm -hmm. were were um damaging you know Mm -hmm. in a number of ways and this was the work where this was a big turning point for me because when we started together and I always, one of the things we always say is meet your client where they are, you know, mm-hmm. met her where, where she was and with what she wanted help with. And a lot of it was around the nutrition, right around the changes to eating. And a lot of this was around like, um, eating, like, uh, eating just a lot of 
unhealthy food, a lot of processed carbohydrates, a lot of candy, a lot of sweets, things like that, right? And the first thing we did was start to just set, set goals around that. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to substitute this snack for that snack, right. Or whatever it was. And what I noticed is that for this woman, it ended up being like whack-a-mole with, with, with the behavioral manifestation. So in other words, okay, stop late night snacking mm-hmm. that all of a sudden transformed into midday snacking right? <laughs> or stop oh. stop midday snacking that 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 transmuted to staying up late um online shopping right like uh, the the behavior that's why it's less about the behavior the behavior was just a manifestation mm. of what she was feeling inside i worked with her for over the course of the year and noticed these shifts mm-hmm. that she was actually really good at setting out to make the behavioral change she wanted to make but then something it would just pop up somewhere else in a different form wow in a different shape Right. And so it got down to, and it was like, okay, again, what need are these behaviors meeting? In other words, everything we want is a feeling. Mm -hmm. So you must be doing this because it makes you feel good in some way. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, we all have different ways of getting there. So working together and we get down to this feeling of, okay, all of these things, whether it was online shopping, whether it was late night snacking, whatever it was, gave her this feeling of, self-soothing right and we really dove into that what does that feel like oh i feel a warmth in my chest Hmm. right i feel i feel um like i feel like i'm being hugged right like we really dug down into that Mm -hmm. and recognized that oh my goodness this is beautiful all these things that she was judging as bad were all strategies for her to get this sensation of being soothed of being at ease, hmm. of being arguably well, which wow. is what she wanted, right? So, what a shift on the perspective. What of a the shift word, on the yeah. perspective, because I'm like, okay, that all of these things were just routes, and this is the one of the first moments I realized. I'm like, oh, this is not about the behavior. This is not about the thing people come to me wanting to change. This is about what caused it in the first place. And this is tying back to something we talked about earlier is that today I work with people on the causal level. The causal level is the level of energy. So I helped her recognize what is the emotional driver of this, right? What is the emotional need that these things are meeting? Mm -hmm. And how can you do that for yourself, right? And also, by the way, how can she integrate the pain, a lot of pain, in her past, how can she integrate the pain that she's trying to run away from? Because let me just tell you this, the idea that you need to soothe yourself or you need to do something to feel good, what does that imply? Not to put you on the spot, but what does that imply? What's inherent in that? That you need to do something to to feel good? Um, (laughs) That's a really good question. I would say... Maybe there's something unresolved there. If you just can't be at peace and mm. find and find happiness, you're, you're hitting it pretty. I would say right on the head, truthfully, which is that it's almost simpler than that. It implies yeah. that you don't already feel good. Sure. You don't already feel soothed. Mm. So this idea of I need to do something to feel soothed, to feel loved, to feel good, to feel comfortable, implies that I don't already feel that way. 
Mm. Right. And a lot of the reasons we don't already feel that way is because we do not have self-love because we don't have a harmonious relationship with ourselves and with others. That's how I define wellness, hmm. a harmonious relationship with ourself and with life. That is truly how I define it. And that's what I help people with. And once they find, once they're able to nourish themselves emotionally, which I know we, we can talk about, I may not have time today, yeah. but once they're able to do that, like I was able to do with her, all of those things they change by themselves. They change effortlessly because you're no longer trying to get something from the world. You're no you longer seeking it. in the world yeah. what you're trying to find within because you already have it. So you integrate that emotional charge, that pain that was making you feel unwell in the first place, which was making you do all of these things, driving you to do all of these things in an effort to feel good. That is... Um that is so powerful and I'm so happy that you were able to share that with us because I know that there are so many people that are going to listen to this episode and say, that's me. Mm. I need this. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I, again, and separate from the podcast, um, you know, you know what I do for a living. Um, mm -hmm. I get to meet many different people and there are many people that sit in my chair and I know that they are not happy just in their own space. Precisely. So... I hope that there are people that can listen to this episode and understand that one, that they're not alone mm. and that there is help out there for mm -hmm. them. So I have one last question for okay. you. What is one piece of advice you could give someone seeking personal growth? Mm. I would say to them. And again, cause I, I will say as a coach, I, I'm great at asking questions more okay. than I am at giving advice. Mm -hmm. And that for them, I would say explore, why you're seeking personal growth. Okay. Um, man, that's really going to put people like in a, I mm -hmm. feel like that's really going to put people in a space of <laughs> what does he mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sure. what do you, cause they probably just want you, like you said before to tell them, mm -hmm. right. What they, it is. Absolutely. Um, yeah. but that's the world that we live in. It is the world we live in. And I could take it just a, a little step further if yeah. it's going to be more helpful for people is me. There's this idea and this is kind of a cliche, but it's actually one of my favorite kind of quotes which is make sure your ladder is leaning against the right building <laughs> right so when people are seeking personal growth mm -hmm. it implies that they want to grow in some way mm -hmm. and i would so i would question in what areas are you seeking to grow in and why are you seeking to grow in those areas to really discover and get into what's actually important to that person mm -hmm. right and you may find that they're the ways you thought you were going to get there are entirely different than the actual route. And that's my work. That yeah. is, I know that to be so true. <laughs> I know that to be so true. Um, yeah. Zach, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a powerful conversation. I know that so many people are going to walk away from this episode and they're going to be like, when is he going to be back? Mm. Um, but I just want to say again, thank you. Yeah. This was, this was, healing for me mm. and um i hope that this message really helps a lot of other people yeah but until next week ladies and gentlemen on spark talk fridays where we create conversations about life peace out